Libby writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. Today, we have a legendary guest. It is it is bad boy Mac Brown himself. Maybe the first time I've been starstruck on this podcast. The man himself joined us to talk about his old Miss career, becoming a viral sensation in the XFL, the life of a pro punter, how he got to Ole Miss, and everything in between. So uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Uh, great dude. Um did most of the podcast look like from a, a a car with some aviators on. So always swagged out is bad boy Mac Brown. But uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Football season will be here before you know it. You need to sign up for Skybox today. They're the only way to profit in the long run. You're never going to do it based on your own brain. They send you a nice color-coded spreadsheet with each picks laid out by unit, and boom, you're more well-equipped to profit than you are before signing up for Skybox. Check out the guys at Skybox NASCAR if you want to build up your bankroll before football season. They're absolutely crushing it on NASCAR this season, racking up the positive units weekend by weekend, and then football season will be right around the corner. Go online, sign up at skyboxsportspicks.com, find a picks package that fits your price range, type in the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. And you'll actually make money this upcoming college football and basketball and NFL season rather than constantly being in the hole. How about that? Skybox for the people. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. There in Oxford. Go see Greg if Rippy Rights subscriber. That's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now. Subscribers get three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here's the man, the myth, the legend, bad boy Mac Brown. All right, we now welcome on maybe the most sought-after guest from my personal standpoint on this podcast, the legend himself, bad boy Mac Brown. Looks like he's hanging out in a car in Minnesota. I have long awaited this podcast. I really appreciate you doing this. How you been, my man? I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So what's uh? we'll just kind of start with what you got going on right now. What's new with you? I know you mentioned before we started recording, it's kind of off season for you. You became a viral internet sensation with that cannon of an arm. Hopefully you're icing that down. How's things been going? Things have been good. Things have been good. Uh, moved back up to Minnesota and uh, I'm just training right now, spending some good quality time with my, uh, my family and my buddies up here and uh, just kind of gearing up for next year's season and uh, continuing to train, hopefully maybe get an opportunity at the next level. I have a ton I want to get to, but I think I want to start at the beginning and your path to Ole Miss, because I think it's an interesting one. You came to Ole Miss as a non-scholarship player um, from Minnesota, not exactly the uh, Southern recruiting footprint, but they kind of find punters all over. Take me through the recruiting process and how you ended up at Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an interesting one. Uh, I wouldn't say I was the, you know, the five-star recruit, the the A.J. Brown, the D.K. Metcalf, Shea coming in that in that class. Uh, but we had a really good group that came in and, and uh, you know, I didn't start punting in, in high school till my senior year. So I was playing receiver and uh, just sent over my punting film and uh, kind of probably, um, 
berated the coaching staff a little bit down here and sent them a thousand emails and then finally uh, heard back and got an opportunity to walk on and, and play uh, and punt and play scout team safety. So jumped at that opportunity and uh, wanted to go win a natty. So. So that's interesting. That was what I was going to ask you next is the punting recruiting process. You mentioned you didn't start punting till your senior year. What's always crazy to me about you football players is like, you're a pretty big dude. I know about like football standards. You're probably not like the first guy off the bus, but coming from a, uh, your uh, podcast host here, who's like five, seven dripping wet, a buck 45. <laughs> I remember the first time I interviewed, I was like, shit, this dude is huge. Like, what was that process like? When did you actually figure out you could punt footballs at the next level? Were you trying, you mentioned be uh, walk on safety or whatever. Like you were obviously mm -hmm. a pretty good high school football player. When did you kind of narrow your focus to uh, punting? And like, when did you figure out you could actually do this at a college level? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely took kicking and, and punting serious throughout, throughout high school. Um, you know, just never really got a, an opportunity. I had some great kickers in front of me and great punters in front of me. So I never really got the opportunity. So I said, you know, getting on the field, you know, right away, I, I was a wide receiver. So, I mean, that's what I wanted to do and that's where I wanted to, to play. But my senior year, uh, had an 87 yard punt, had a couple over 70. Um, and that's when it kind of just clicked where, uh, you know, I went in thinking I was going to probably try and kick in, in college and, uh, I left, you know, get an opportunity to punt and um, it really worked out well for me. Uh, just kind of focusing on punting in college. I got so much better, you know, from that senior year to my freshman year at Ole Miss. And, um, you know, like I said, just kind of that long lever, that that bigger body really uh, helped me out and uh, able to get the ball up in the air pretty well. So fortunate. And thanks to mom and dad for the good genes. <laughs> so there is a kid from my high school named Andrew Ritter, who was a uh, place kicker and a kickoff specialist a while back. I think he probably slightly predated you. I want to say his last year was like 2013 or something like that. And he was a big dude. He, uh, I think he was a receiver in high school as well, kind of the same mold. You mentioned always taking punting and kicking seriously. Was there a reason for that? Like, did you come onto it pretty quick? Like, when's the first time you kicked a football and were like, I really have a knack for this? Yeah, I think in seventh grade, I started, my parents started letting me play football. And uh, I mean, pretty much in seventh grade, you get out there, it's who, who can kick the ball the farthest. Uh, let's just line them up and see who goes. Uh, and uh, I mean, coming from a soccer background up until that point, um, I, I just kind of won the spot from there. And, and I've always been a competitive guy. So, you know, if I'm going to be in a position, I want to be the best at it. Um, and uh, so that's when I just started working on it. And it was just another reason for me to get out in the field and um, and go, you know, go have a football in my hands and, and go mess around, you know, throwing the balls with my buddies and then they want to catch punts and then I'll punt them to them. And it was actually kind of crazy. I, I punted, I punt returned in, in high school and all that it was probably because I knew how the ball would turn over and, and, and all that. So it ended up working out well to be able to do both, um, you know, in high school. But, um, yeah, I just think I just love football and any opportunity for me to get on the field, I was going to jump on. And so you mentioned you did the punt return to your receiver. I, I, it's what's crazy is like all you D1 athletes, you guys were like the man in high school at whatever position or positions you played. Was that a little weird in high school where like, I mean, if a possession didn't work out, you had to go back in the back foot and punt it where you go, oh, shit, this didn't go well. I guess I'm going to go boot this down the field. Was it weird? Like not coming off the field on third down, like you had an added responsibility. It was the best, man. It was the best. Any, you know, that was the thing. It just being on the field, getting that, getting the ball in your hands. I mean, there's nothing better than that. And even when I like, you know, go to Ole Miss and 
towards the end of the year with Lane, we just didn't, we weren't really punting. I mean, I was itching on the sideline to get out in that field. I mean, I just the, the little holds or something or whatever it was, but you know, I want to play and I want the ball in my hands. And I think the majority of guys at that level, just, you know, they just want the ball in their hands to make plays. And when you, so you mentioned, I asked you about the recruiting process earlier. You mentioned you didn't really start like punting really until like senior year. That's I, I've dealt with a couple of kids that like, I've talked to a couple of kind of late draft guys, my buddies and agent, and I've done a couple of stories on them. A guy that played offensive line, not until his senior year kind of blew up late and is now uh, in the chargers camp where he was like, dude, it was kind of weird. Like I had a lot to learn very shortly, you know, senior year. That's when a lot of kids have already committed and know where they're going. How fast did the recruiting process you and for like a punter, how much of it is, kind of selling yourself, right? I mean, like, it's not like they're trying to go find the next left tackle or the, the next DK Metcalf. Like, it's a weird recruiting market from the specialist standpoint. What was that like for you? Were you like, can I go D2? Can I go D3? Like, what what was that like for you in realizing what your opportunities actually were? Yeah, you know, there's a great uh, school up here in Minnesota, the University of St. Thomas, that I would say my high school is definitely a, a feeder school, too, and, and an unbelievable program. And uh, they just moved up to D1AA, but, um, you know, really dominant at D3. So that was definitely one that great coaching staff with uh, Glenn Caruso there and uh, an outstanding guy. And um, that was kind of like, you know, one of the schools I was really considering hard to go play receiver and punt and kick and um, kind of be able to live my dream still in high school of, of being on the field a lot. And, um, you know, then there was also the University of Minnesota. That was my dream school that ended up taking another guy out of my class. And uh, I remember that day clearly, you know, running in the room, taking down the posters, you know, being all pissed. And uh, <laughs> Literally, I think uh, it was like a couple days later was when I got the email from Ole Miss back that said, you know, hey, we wanted to, to give you a walk on opportunity. So everything happens for a reason. And, and, you know, hearing back from the University of Minnesota after the Ole Miss saying, hey, you know, we got a spot for you. I was like, no way. You know, Ole Miss didn't pass me up. I'm taking that opportunity. And um, with that class that came in that year, that 2016 class, I mean, I think you can agree. We, we, you know, oh, yeah. we had some special, special guys coming in. I wanted to be a part of that. And for punters, what is the scholarship conversation like? I know like football is a little unique than other sports where it's like 85 scholarships. You have a decent amount each year to kind of throw at people, but it gets a little strange with specialists. Like how many would you like punters, kickers, whatever, get like the full scholarship? Where was that in your mindset? Were you cool being a walk on? Where does like the scholarship come in in terms of like recruiting conversations with specialists? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you got to be the man you got to be an immediate freshman year starter to come in on scholarship. I mean, if you're not, if, if not, I mean, what's the point of keeping your own, what's the point of having your own scholarship right. if you're not coming in to play right away? Uh, you know, my whole plan process for me was, you know, if I got an opportunity at a big school, I will miss, I was jumping at it. You know, I wanted the opportunity to run out of the tunnel with those people in the stands. And I, and I had a belief in myself that I was going to go play. I mean, I had one year of punting experience and I knew, you know, following Will Gleason's, you know, that first year where I knew I was redshirting that I wanted to get punts in that second year with him there. And, and I wanted to be in a competition. So I think, you know, in the specialist world, you just got to have a belief in yourself. That kicker has got to believe that he's going to make the kick. That punter has got to believe uh, he can, you know, you know, put the ball where it needs to be. And, and for me, I was, you know, I'm a competitor. I believe, you know, I believe in myself more than anybody. So um, I, I knew getting down there, just an opportunity. Uh, I was going to seize it. And so for you, when you get down to Ole Miss, like you come in as a non-scholarship guy, and they kind of told you mm -hmm. like, hey, if things work out, we'll get you on scholarship. I think that's very interesting 
which is kind of different than I would say your typical kind of walk on practice squad guy where that, I think that's like the ultimate dream where it's like, maybe I can get on there. Had they told you that's part of the plan? Like, are you fighting for a scholarship when you get there? How did that kind of work once you got here? Definitely. Uh, when, when I got there, um, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, like four or five of us came in that class. It was Jack Probst, Luke Logan, uh, Justin Charette and, uh, Isaac way. And, and, um, I feel like I'm missing one, but, it, uh, you know, we all came in and we knew that, you know, it was Gary Wonderlake and Gleason and Nathan Noble and few, you know, all those guys on scholarships. And they said, you know, after those guys leave, we'll, you know, we'll pass scholarships down to them. Sadly at the time, that was when our bull ban hit and, you know, we lost 10, 15 scholarships. So, you know, Luke and I and Jack are kind of sitting there saying, all right, you know, we we're here, we're starting, you know, where's our money? Yeah. <laughs> kind of, you know, why, why are we taking it from the guys who are playing? Not, you know, the third string DBs in the back of the room who aren't even contributing, but we're high recruits. So I think that's a frustrating part of being a specialist, but I think it also kind of lit, you know, lit a fire under me, you know, go get that scholarship. And the second we got that scholarship, it was like, now we got to even work any harder because now they got some skin invested in us. So, you know, we're going to go out there and make the plays and, and, and do what we need to do. So um, I think all along that process is tough and it's confusing and it's not great because you're kind of waiting around and you don't have a lot of pull, but um, in the end, getting that scholarship was definitely one of the more rewarding feelings I had in my life. And it's kind of sparked that fire in me to, to work that much harder. How did that news get broken? When did you figure out you were going to be on scholarship? Uh, I think, you know, it was like a two year, I mean, we, I think we got it. Uh, Luke and I got it at the same time okay. and I think we were fighting for it for about a year and a half going in and saying, Hey guys, you told us we're getting the scholarship. We want that scholarship. And, you know, they're saying, you know, so-and-so has got to leave or we got number problems. And then, and then we just got a meeting with, uh, Matt Luke one afternoon. And, uh, and that was when he just sat us both down and told us both of us were going on scholarship and, you know, that was that. I think we had a nice, not, nice night out with the boys that night. And uh, next day was back to work and, and we were we were getting after it. Who was more pumped, you or your parents? Oh, it was a great phone call to my parents. And and that was definitely like one of the, the happiest feeling. telling my dad, telling my mom that. And um, and they know I mean, they know I've worked hard for it and they've, they've invested so much in me uh, to get me to where I am. I would not even be close to where I'm at today without them. Uh they're the reason they're the, the whole reason why I'm here. So uh, getting that was kind of a win for the whole family. I think. How did Ole Miss get on your radar? You mentioned you were kind of pestering the coaching staff with emails for a kid from Minnesota. How much did you know about Ole Miss and when did they kind of come in the picture? And when was the first time you stepped on campus? Like, right? well, I could go to school here. Yeah, I think uh, my cousin went down to Ole Miss and my mom told me before the school, year, she said, you know what, if nothing else works out, just apply to Ole Miss for fun. You know, your cousin goes down there. It's a cool school. And she told me, she's like, I got a feeling you're going to Ole Miss. I think I looked at my mother and told her that she was crazy. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you're, you know, you're smoking crack out here. I don't even, you know, what are you saying? Um, and then, um, you know, I pestered. Uh, it was Coach Ripon. Chris Ripon at, at the time was special teams coach. And I sent that film and never got anything back. Um, knew knew about the blind side, the movie, the blind side. And and I think it was around Thanksgiving I watched when Leonard Fournette came to town and that defense shut him down. He had that one long run that got called back on the first thing. They were in the all whites. It was packed. It was a night game Saturday night and the vault was jumping. I was like, wow, no, I want to be there. And then I uh, got an email in January, took a visit in January. I was already in the school and immediately told him when he, you know, I came back, told the other coaches that were recruiting me that I was, wasn't going to go, you know, with them. And, 
committed to Ole Miss and jumped on it, you know? My favorite thing – yeah, absolutely. Like my favorite thing about like out of state guys in particular, and I, I went to school at Ole Miss, and it's funny. Like the they have so many kids from so many different places all over the country, and when you boil down to it, I feel like eighty percent of the time it's like, well, I had a cousin that went here or a brother or something right. like that, and I wasn't really sure about it. But then once I got down here, I was like, whoa! How much was the Ole Miss in the town of Oxford different than what you expected? Did you expect anything? What was that like when you stepped foot there the first time? You know, when I went down there, it was winter intercession, so okay. it was dead. And that is the deadest time of the year. Wow. Big time, big time. And I don't think we went out. I don't think we even went to the square. I think I was there the day before and the night before we drove around campus in the dark. And then the <laughs> next day I got like a campus tour with the coach. And then we sat in his office for a while. And other than that, that was it, you know? And I think the thing that sold me was looking at that stadium. I mean, I've never, we don't, I mean, TCF bank up here and or Huntington stadium up here is nice, but I never saw a stadium like that before and you know then you go on a youtube and you search all those highlights which you know every kid loves to do and uh, i still do it and, and i just i mean that was like there's no way i'm going anywhere else this is the best opportunity i can get and and go jump on it but i think that whole town i mean once we got back once i learned about the square once i learned about you know all those people it's much different than where, I, where i'm from but i mean those people welcome me with open arms and my family with open arms so it was great I'll never forget the last last year. Gary Wunderlich was here. I was working in house for the athletic department as their in house reporter, and they wanted me to just do a story on Wunderlich. And they're like, "You got to talk to Gleason for this." And I was like, "That sounds amazing." So I walked outside at practice one day, and I was talking to him. And he asked, I asked him a question at the end. I was like, you know, if he pulls a hammy, like, can you kick? And he was like, hell no, nah, mate, kick, kick a ball for shit. And I was like, all right, I appreciate the <laughs> honesty there. But for you, when you got there, you mentioned you had punt and kicked. When you first got to Ole Miss, were you doing all of it? Were you doing punting, kicking, kickoff? Like, what was it kind of like for you that first year, year and a half? When I first got there, our, our room was deep. I think we had 13 specialists, which is like unheard of. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, we like, I mean, I don't know what we were, we came off that sugar bowl win or something. And we decided to bring in, you know, six specialists. I think we had an onside kick specialist. We had, you know, me and, and I think the biggest thing for me was kind of like be seen and, and not heard. So kind of getting out there and handling my business and keep my head down. So my ass doesn't go get cut. You know, <laughs> uh, there was a couple instances my freshman year where, and, and that was really the biggest thing we, we earned. Luke and I uh, earned camp invites, you know, fall camp earned invites that summer, which was one of our goals. And, and we just wanted to get in there. But I mean, that first day of fall camp, it was like, uh, you know, who can go play safety? And I'm like, all right, shit, man, I can go play safety. You know, I got this. I went out there and, you know, I'm going, I got, you know, one-on-one -on -one with Evan Ingram in the slot. Like my ass ain't covering Evan Ingram in the <laughs> slot. Like, what are you talking about? And I was just like 18 years old, you know, like fresh off the plane from Minnesota. Like, man, I got this all American, like, this dude's a baller, but it taught me so much and it got me so much closer with the team. And I got a couple clips of me picking off Chad Kelly back in the day. And I'm oh, like, I'm yeah. loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it, you know, but um, I just love football, man. And, and any opportunity for me to be on a team anywhere, I would have jumped at. So just get the opportunity to keep playing. And I think, you know, my punts got me noticed by coach freeze and, and some Barney at the time. And, and those guys definitely, you know, sparked interest in me. They didn't really know me prior to. So, you know, meeting those guys, getting comfortable and, and them having a conversation with my parents and I wanting me to stay and stick around and, and wait it out was was important. And, and one of the main reasons why I stuck around. So you mentioned getting a fall invite. 
uh, fall camp invite being a pretty seminal moment for you. So it's not like your typical college experience where your parents drop you off and you're like, all right, I'm spending the next four years here. This is going to be great. Like there was a chance where you were going to just be done with football at the end of the summer. If it didn't work out, that had to be pretty stressful for you at 18 years old. What was the backup plan? If it didn't work out, I didn't even actually know that. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, I think a hundred and 105 guys get invited to camp um, every year. And I think we have 125 on the roster or something like that. 120 on the roster. So it's like those 15 guys are in limbo where like you miss fall camp and then you got to come in when the school starts. And I mean, I'm no shame to those guys, or, and, but you don't get the full experience. I mean, as much as fall camp sucks, you want to be there for fall camp. I mean, that's, and I think there is a, you know, there's a point where if you're not there for fall camp, you're kind of pushed off to, you're not even getting the looks, you know, to get an opportunity to play, to show your stuff. So I remember going in with Luke and and we talked to the special teams coach that year and we're like, Hey, we'll do, we'll do whatever you need us to do. And he has to run down on kickoff. Shit. I'll run down on kickoff. You need to play safety. You need me to, you know, do you scout team punt? You need me to help with DBs with routes, tackling drills. I'm there, you know, whatever you need, I'm here for the team. It's my, you know, red shirt year. And I, you know, so I think it kind of comes full circle going from being a walk on being, you know, potentially, you know, one of the guys that gets cut to, you know, becoming a, you know, a three, four year starter and, and having an unbelievable career with, you know, some a great teammates and, and ending it with, you know, a trip to the sugar bowl and, and some fun memories. Yeah. And so for you, that's interesting. That first year, you're probably just being like, how can I stay around? And then that second year, mm-hmm. after red shirt, I believe Gleason's there one more year. I think you appeared in a few games that 2017 year. At that point, you mentioned the amount of specialists they brought in with having a punter in his last year in Gleason. At that point, are you like, do you, are you getting a lay of the land of like, okay, I think I can secede this guy? Or are you competing for like the next year starting job with someone else? What is that 2017 year like for you? How and how do you know where you stand at that point? Yeah, I mean, we had a we had a scheme. I think at the time where Gleason rolled out left and kicked. You know, he did that rugby that rugby yeah. kick. So they wanted to start implementing that in with me, which to be honest was, I mean, one of my least kind of started my least favorite years of hunting because you know that's not what I'm good at I'm not an Australian I'm not you know I can do it but it's not something that I that I that it comes natural to me so I kind of had to start learning that but um I think that fall camp you know we were definitely competing and and going ball for ball and 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 Gleason's a unbelievable guy an unbelievable mentor but it was you know still one of my friends was just at his wedding and and but just one of those guys that you're like shit, man, you're in my spot too. You know, I want to, I want to take some punts. I'm sure he didn't love me running out on the five punts that I got (laughs) this year and taking those from him, even though we're good friends, you know, it's the same way, but um, having him there to kind of show me the ropes and show me, you know, a good example of what a, you know, a good punter can do in the SEC uh, was super beneficial for me that 2017 year traveling and seeing everything and coming in 2018 and 2019 on. I mean, that definitely helped me that 2017 year. So at that point, you have so a pretty good at idea that point, next. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And and that was kind of the, the main conversation with my coach was get a couple under your belt, you know, hopefully you hit some good ones. And then, you know, next year is yours. And, you know, right when that season ended, you know, I thought of myself as a starting punter and I, you know, I don't think anybody else took a rep the rest of the time I was there. Not to generalize an entire country, but I don't think I've ever met an Australian who's a bad hang. What was it like having a 20-something-year-old Will Gleason as a mentor your first year, year and a half you're there? They they were awesome. Like, that whole group, 
I mean, we're still – I still try and keep in touch. I don't know if you remember, like, Will Few, Nathan Noble, yeah. uh, Will Gleason, Gary Wonderlick. Uh, that that class was so fun to come into as a freshman. And they were – I mean, talk about some jokesters, man. I and mean, they were they were funny, funny guys. And Gleason being Australian, and like you said, like, those guys are hilarious. Those guys are so funny. I'm I'm lucky to play a position that has super cool people around it you know, and, and not have a ton of drama queens or, or anything like that, or look at me as, you know, those guys are just solid dudes to hang out with. So I've always wondered this, and I used to go stand out at practice that particularly that 2017 through 2019 year, what's a specialist life like in practice? Because obviously you do the punting, you do the kicking, and then there's this other stuff and you guys are kind of doing stuff off to the side. Is practice more boring for y'all? How do you feel a typical whether it's fall camp or in-season practice as a specialist, what does that schedule actually look like on a daily basis? I'd say for the first three years, we had a coach or four years. We had a coach that was extremely like, keep your helmet on, put it on the side, like keep your helmet on the sideline and pay attention to every drill. And I like be ready and cheer everybody on kind of like a team cheerleader, which I mean, as an 18, 19 year old, you know, you're okay with, you're yeah. happy, you know, it's all right. Uh, as you start to grow older and you're a junior and senior and you're, you know, acting like an idiot and stuff, you kind of get <laughs> grow tired of that, I think. Um, but as the seasons went on, we got, you know, there was more at least my last two years with Coleman Hutzler um, and Blake Gideon. I mean, we would go inside and get drill work done in the indoor. If the guys were on the outdoor, come out for our period, you know, help out, you know, when, when guys need extra subs. But other than that, it was, it was mainly focused on us making sure we were our best for the weekend. And that's, and I think that's like, I mean, you don't see anybody in the pros running scout team kickoff running down the field. You see those guys taking care of their legs and making sure they're ready. And that's and that, I think, is what makes, you know, the best group of specialists. So I think there's a combination of being part of the team, but also making sure, you, you know, you're not missing kicks and you're not you know, you're helping yourself out to be the best. Yeah, absolutely. And so that 2018 year, when it becomes your job, you'd had a few punts, I would say, to get your feet wet a little bit. That first time you punt and it's your gig, are you nervous at all? The thing that always crazy is crazy to me is you guys have to catch the football from the long snapper pretty far back in the backfield. And someone athletically challenged like myself would be looking at that, like shitting my <laughs> pants, being like, oh, my God, if I drop this. Do you remember that first kick when it was your gig? Were you nervous? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, surprisingly enough, my first kick was in uh, was yeah in Oxford. We were playing. It was the end of the team. It was a great ball. So I was like, oh, man, that's great. My next three punts were backed up in the end zone at Alabama. So I was like, oh, man, like, shit, I got Minka Fitzpatrick running down my throat over here. Like, <laughs> holy shit, you better get this ball out, Brown. I swear to God, you're going to be on SportsCenter. And uh, if not, you know, and uh, then that next year was my year. It was I think there was like a sense of uh, of calmness to me and sense of kind of like, Hey, this is your deal. You know, go out there, you got a little job security and I'll go out there and show them what you got. This is your job and you're the guy and go show, you know, go show every team out there when they watch film that they got a damn good punter. So I think I just tried to carry that with me. And um, I think that 2018 year wasn't my best year. They were making me roll out 2019 year was better. Um, but once I was able to start punting the way I'm the best at punting that like, I mean, talk about calming down, talk about, you know, feeling great back there and and knowing that all you got to do is do the thing that you practice, you know, year round. So I was much more comfortable those last two years. 
you mentioned not even going back to like when you're recruited, like you don't have like a ton of say in the matters, specialist, but when you're rolling out doing a style of punting, that's not conducive to you. Like, are you looking at the coaching staff being like, Hey, I'm not good at this. Can I just boot it straight down the field? And they're like, no, you cannot do that. What are those conversations like? I mean, uh, it was, it was, it was an uneasy conversation for sure. Uh, I think I've mentioned it multiple times. I didn't want to do it, that it wasn't what I did best, but it fit well with the scheme and, and the scheme that we all ran those years. And that was uh, coach rip on scheme. And um, he, I think, I think it's difficult to have a guy run out to the side, like run sprint straight to the sideline and expect them to turn over a spiral punt um, uh, like nine out of 10 times. I, I think that's extremely a difficult task. I think he's staying in the pocket would have been better, but you know, we tried to voice our opinions. Obviously, it didn't go through. Uh, I didn't get that opportunity. But once Coach Rip, Coach Ripon left, uh, like I said, Coach Gideon and Coach Hustler really were understanding. And and one of the first things they said is, we want everyone here to be comfortable and do their best at what they're best at. So hearing that, I was like, okay, this is you know, this is a player's coach. This coach is going to listen to me. Here's what I do best, and and how can we set up a scheme to you know make sure we have the the best net. Is that running out to the side? I was going to kind of ask you about the actual art of like punting and kicking a football. It, like when you run out to the side like that, you mentioned expecting them to turn over a spiral being a pretty difficult task. Is that a totally different leg motion? Like take me through the differences between the two. Yeah. I mean, when you're just walking, you got two steps and you're kicking it and you're, you know, I got my checklist, you know, short steps, long leg, kick that right foot to the right eye. I mean, that's all I got to, you know, think about. The other one is catch, you know, you're taking five to eight steps to the side. You've probably got three guys that are running straight into your shield. But the biggest thing that I think, you know, you got a different, you got a different drop, you got a different leg motion, you're swinging different. Um, you're also sprinting to the sideline. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it's just a, a lot of momentum going a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, everyone talks about in special teams just to simplify. And I think that's like what, majority of special teams coaches moving forward need to do is just put the ball in the corners tuck it off to the side and 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 let your return you know let your guys get down there to, to make plays and even despite it i know this was like the midst of the coaching change but from your freshman redshirt freshman year or excuse me redshirt sophomore i guess that 2018 year to 2020 you increased your yards per punt by i think over five yards which is no small amount by any stretch of the imagination you were clearly getting better despite the different styles of what you were punting did you have a point where you became pretty confident like hey i'm pretty damn good at this because like one of the i, I don't say lost things in the last couple of years but one of the things that became a storyline was you actually becoming a really huge weapon for the last couple of teams that you were on. Did you have a moment where you're like, Hey, I'm pretty damn good at this because it was new to you leaving high school. Right. I think, I think it was like my freshman year. I was, I hit a couple big balls and uh, I think I had a couple conversations with my friends where they kind of set me down. They're like, Hey, Dan, you know, I haven't seen, you know, a guy hit a ball like that before. And to me, I never thought anything of it. I was just yeah. kind of going out there and doing the best that I could at the time. I, I wasn't really invested in the punting community necessarily. I didn't really know all the, you know, what everybody was talking about all the time. So um, I think once I got some confidence from my teammates and some support from your teammates, you kind of realize, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. It's no different than probably DK and AJ catching balls. They're like, shit, man, I got good hands, you know, or I can I can really make this guy miss. I think just kind of realizing how good you can be and, and how good you are, you know, where you're at just right now is is kind of big in that transition period of coming, you know, a good weapon to a great weapon.
We will get back to Mac Brown in just a second. But before we do, I wanted to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I take AG1 every morning. It helps provide you with the nutrients you need to make your body go. Taking care of your body, particularly as you get older, is as important as ever. AG1 does just that. It helps with better gut health, sustained energy, immune system support, and it's a supplement that tastes great. So I take it all in the morning. It is awesome. AG1 is the best nutritional drink out there. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens has given you a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash MPW. That's athleticgreens.com slash MPW to check it out. All right, back to Mac Brown. How many different schools of thought are there punting the football? Like I equate it similarly. I don't know if you play golf, but like I played golf growing up. And like, I remember one time mm-hmm. in college, like my chipping game went to shit and I decided to chip cross-handed dumbest idea ever. I think I watched a <laughs> video and I was like, this guy's a total quack. This does not work. How many different yeah. schools of thought on punting the football are there in terms of like what you subscribe to? What is that kind of like when you turn, learn how to do it, whatever way is the best way. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Training kids and working with kids, you want those kids to be comfortable. And I think everybody punts the ball different. Okay. Uh, and there's all these there's all these different ways you can do it. I mean, if you remember Marquette King, he drops the ball completely different than anyone else drops his ball in the entire world. Nobody drops ball like Marquette King, but he can also hit one of the highest punts I've ever seen. So I think, you know, working what works best for you. I think there's a, you know, a two-step to a three-step and different things, you know, at different levels. NFL coaches want more of a two-step and um, you want, you know, flat, <laughs> flat drops. Um, but I think overall it's just being confident and, and doing what you do best is probably the best way to move forward in punting. So I almost set you up with a loaded question a second ago when I asked you got confident that now to just the back of the interview, the bad boy Mac Brown era, which I would say lasted till you left college, but the one of the only internet uh sticks I've had kick off was 2019. I think it was a series of like two games. If I'm, I did, I should have written this down, but I think you had a tripping penalty. I think maybe a game or two later, I forgot, was it a legal like low block? block or like that? You had two or three penalty, uh, personal fouls in like three games. I'm sitting up there bored in the press box. I was like, here's the storyline. What is that like when you're just getting flags thrown on you by the man as a punter and none of it had anything to do with punting? What was that like? Were you hyped up or your coach is like, hey, man, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, think, like, hey, man, we, we don't have a ton of penalties to spend on punters. Maybe tone it down a bit. We love the enthusiasm. What was that like? I mean, nobody ever said anything to me. I think the first one, the call against Arkansas where I took off the lead blocker, I mean, <laughs> I, was just trying, I was just trying to roll somebody up to trip another guy. You know, that was what I was saying. I mean, I'm not going to go take on a lead block, you know. I'm going to do it the smart way. I'm going to try and take him out and trip the other guy up or something. And then the tripping penalty was Jalen Waddle, you know, one-on-one with Jalen Waddle in open field. I was just, I was just trying to get him to the ground, man. They call it yeah. tripping penalty. I looked at the ref. I'm like, you know how hard it is to take this guy down? Like you're telling me you're really calling it on me on this. So I think, I mean, I think there's always been a physical aspect to my game. I love to get into hits. I love to get into contact. Um, obviously safety first. Um, you don't want to go flying in there and, and hurt yourself. But um, if I can make a hit for the team and I think when the punter goes down and man, makes a hit or a kicker I think it does fire up a little emotion on the sideline and can get the boys going at a time that you know you know maybe a three and out and I go down and stick somebody maybe they'll fire up the defense you know 
Yeah, and you, you, as I mentioned earlier, like you're a pretty big dude, and there's some punters who are some like punters. touching anybody for anything. What is your responsibility on coverage after you kicked the football? And were you ever intimidated by the you know large ogre looking folks around you? What is that like being on the field having some sort of responsibility? You mentioned you don't like shying away from contact, but what was that like kind of wading into it at the college level for the first time? I think there was one or two hits where I kind of came sprinting down and it clicked in my brain really quick. It was like, Hey, hold up, wait a minute. You know, you're not, you're not in private school ball anymore. Matt. Get your ass back. You're going to get your, you're going to get your shit messed up. Um, and then there's a couple times where, you know, I think hanging back as a punter, like I'm not chasing down Waddle. I'm not chasing down rugs. I'm not chasing anybody down. So hanging back, you're kind of screwed. So I think, you know, for me, I don't want to be the, you know, the first guy down the field, but I want to be in a position that before he hits that hole, I can at least have like, you know, an area that I can shoot my shot in. Or, you know, a lot of coaches always say, you know, make sure, you know, you cut them out so they don't get the edge, you know, make sure you force them back inside. That was kind of my main thing. But if it was coming up the middle, I was trying to get them before they could, you know, cut me up pretty good. That was kind of the main thing. Well, even if you're like a six three linebacker, you mentioned being the last guy. If you have a punt returner that's a wide receiver or a running back or something that has a 25-yard head start after they hit the field, I don't know if anybody's taking them down. Like, how helpless of a position is that? It's extremely helpless. And, I mean, there's highlights of, like, dudes coming and taking out punters, like, on purpose, like, running out to the sideline. So you kind of have to be ready to, like, shoot your shot because I don't want to be caught lacking and get put up on ESPN for getting, you know, truck sticked and my helmet goes sideways. You know, I want to make sure that I'm at least throwing some sort of my body in there. And, and honestly, you know, bless, you know, bless for my parents with, with good genes and good height. And um, a lot of those returners are, are shorter and faster guys. So, you know, if you can bring a little speed and they're running pretty fast, you can end up getting a good collision like that Mississippi state hit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty damn good one. If I say so myself, did you have a hit early on where someone hit you where you're like, Holy shit. I like you mentioned, I'm not in private school anymore. I hope this doesn't end up on TV. Is there anyone that sticks out? Uh, in a game, I don't think I had one in a game. I did get, I got sliced up once against Memphis, uh, where I came sprinting down and I didn't break down and he just like stuck his foot in the ground. I was like, okay, I got it. I got to make sure I'm going inside hip. Like I can't, I can't sh- like expect anything or, you know, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. But I think right after that one, I was like, you're good enough athletes. Go make a play, go make a play. Don't, don't run down. Like you're, you know, you're not a good athlete and don't run down. Like you're out of control. Like get down there and, and make a play. Cause it, it matters. You know, it's not like you're not a, you're, there's not, they're not running down with 10 guys in the field. They're running with 11. So be that 11th guy and actually do something. Did you ever have a punt blocked? What is that like? Because there's so many different things that can go wrong. I imagine it sucks when you just boot a punt and then all of a sudden it touches a guy's hand six inches in front of you. Did you have a punt blocked yeah. college? I'm really just defaulting on my I own. I did, back. yeah. Yeah, I had one against Alabama. It's probably the worst feeling in the world. Because it. But was you it your it. fault? Like, how do you diagnose that? I think uh, the one against Alabama, the guy just ran – into the shield and the shield ran back to me and he put his hand up. I think the worst feeling after you get a pump block is you don't know where the ball is. Like you kick that ball and it hits off a hand. Everybody like, looks Look up like what's on. going on. You have no idea where that ball is. And you just kind of like run around with your head cut off. So you're kind of like, you know, what am I going to do? Am I running backwards with like the whole, you know, how is this going to work? So probably the worst feeling in the world is getting a pump blocked or shanking a punt. But, um, you know, it all comes down to op time and, and having a good 10 other guys up there that, you know, protect and cover. 
I know you have film and all that after the fact, but when you have a punt blocked, I know it didn't happen too often to you. Do you have a pretty good idea when you come off the field, whether that was your fault or not? Because I imagine if someone comes unblocked and there's a breakdown, you're probably like, holy shit, where did that guy come from? I didn't even get into like my routine. Like how, how right. aware are you when you come off the field of like, okay, what happened here and whose fault was this? Yeah. I mean, it definitely normally like, the only guy that I worry about is the far left guy. That's the only guy I have to beat because that's the only okay. one we don't we didn't block in college. So if we we're going left, I would have to worry about the right guy because everybody's you know if we're punting the ball left, gotta worry about the right side guy because we're blocking down or we're blocking down to the right on the other side. So really that that last guy coming, but I mean if I do what I need to do, the snaps there and I catch the ball and I'm you know there's no reason why that punch should be blocked. Normally when it comes from the inside, it's going to be a guard or. Um, a guard or a shield's fault opening up. So that's normally a pretty uh, pissed off Mac Brown that you'll get on the sideline. If something like that happens, that whoever, whoever it is, you know, whoever let him through, that's, that's tough. Cause it's tough. You're kind of like, it's kind of like leaving a QB back there out to dry. You know, yeah. I'm looking down at the ball. I'm not even, I'm not looking at the rush. I'm trying to punt the ball, you know, and I'm exploding up in the air. Kind of, kind of defenseless up there. <laughs> Did you ever, like, at what point, if at all, did you learn in college that people were starting to call you bad boy Mac Brown? If the answer is no, please lie. I mean, I saw your I saw your tweets, and uh, my sister always filled me in on them, and uh, I respected the, uh, yeah. I mean, it's tough with the community service stuff that I was doing to, to really <laughs> ride up with a nickname, but I'll take it on the field when it's, you know, between the whistles. But outside that, I, I don't want it. <laughs> It caught on, I would say, I remember your last regular season game against Mississippi State. You were just out to kill someone in a legal way, football way, uh, just for in case anyone from law enforcement's out there, not actually kill someone. You were out for blood that night. Was the bad boy Mac Brown mantra living through your like last regular season game of the year? It's not holding anything back, water boy style. You looked a little amped up that night. There's no doubt. I remember we were uh you hit a couple guys after the whistle. I was literally just like yelling at my TV, being like, That's it, that's our guy. I was pumped. I was pumped. I got an opportunity to kick off that game. And um, I knew, you know, right in pregame warm up, we found out, you know, it was, you know, it was, you know, Kale and I were going to either, you know, he was going to kick off or whatever. And the second I heard I was going to kick off and, and Pawn, I was like, all right, it's go time. Like, this is your last egg bowl. This one means more than anything. And, and I, I can't stand Mississippi State. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things you want to go down, you want to make a play. And, and I think I just saw a couple of guys and just wanted to put them in the dirt. You bumped a couple people after the whistle. They, I, the va- greatest part yeah. about like the special teams is the uh, kind of I would say froggy punter who's like, "What's up? I'm here to get in your grill." Because the dudes immediately get pissed off. Did you enjoy that piece of it? Like, how much shit talk did you get when you'd come up and kind of, you know, I'd say nudge guys after the whistle and a half. You know, that gray area. Sure, right? sure. And which is never smart because I could easily get called for that. But definitely, I mean, it's just one. It's just part of the game. There's a lot of emotions running high, and I think a lot of people don't. I mean, I, I think I can I think I can make plays out there. I think there's some guys out there on special teams that, you know, on other teams and stuff that they're not bigger than me. You know, I'm I'm a player out there. So, you know, if I'm going to bump a guy and a guy wants to say something back to me, you, you know, good for him. And, you know, we'll move on. But I think back in those days at that time, I was a little chippy and I definitely wanted to get into it, get a little scrap going. See if you I can just... get somebody to punch me in the face, get a 15 yes. on it or something. I'm not <laughs> swinging back. I probably I won't swing back, but I'll I'll definitely try and get somebody to swing just to see if I can get fifteen out of it. 
That is the greatest mindset I've ever heard. And you destroyed that kid on the sideline at State. I forget his name. Did you lay any smack talk after that, or did you just let the hit of the impending concussion do the talking? I don't know. I think there was a coach right there. I might have said a word to him. And other than that, I don't know. I was hearing a lot when I flew into that sideline. There was a big crowd of maroon that flew out. I was hearing a lot of smack talk from all of them. So I think I just let them know that they can all get hit like that if they want it. So something along those lines, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, here in the moment, a lot of emotion. I was pumped for that game and, and for us to pull out that win. And in Starkville, it's always, it always feels so good to get that Egg Bowl trophy. So I was happy we did that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for Ole Miss fans, as someone who kind of grew up in that rivalry, they're, you know, that before you got to Ole Miss, uh, winning in Starkville did not happen a lot. I think there was about a 15 year stretch where the home team won every time. That was kind of a house of horrors for Ole Miss. You leave Ole Miss, and what's always interesting to me is kind of how the specialists pass to the NFL. Not a ton of people are using draft picks on specialists. At the worst, at the best, it's a later on. I think John Gruden used like an early draft pick on a punter. Uh, one year and people are like, is this guy on drugs? What's going on here? I think that actually yeah. Marquette King cut. But like, what's the, uh, when you leave college and you leave Ole Miss, you've been there a long time. Clearly at that point, you were one of the best punters in the country. You probably knew you'd have a shot at the next level. What are those months like preparing for the initial 2020, I guess that'd be 2022 NFL draft. What's the pre-draft process or trying to find a job process like for you to be a full-time punter and earn a paycheck? Yeah, um, I think at the time um, I started my master's at the time. So uh, I started my MBA. I, I was working on that on the side and then uh, I moved back home and um, up to Minnesota. I got a, a coach up here and a, a great uh, workout facility up here with some great guys. And I uh, just really tried to get in and, and maximize, maximize my potential for those months leading up to pro day. Got super unlucky at pro day having like some of the windiest, rainiest day, you know, crappy day in Oxford. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, where it happens. And, uh, but I think, you know, over that time, it was just, for me, it was trying to maximize my ability and get in front of, you know, talk to my agent, get in front of as many guys as I could to uh, get evaluated and not get an invite to the combine definitely was a sting because I, I wanted to be there, but um, there were plenty of opportunities for me to get in front of coaches and kick. And um, that process is just one of those processes, you know, it's not, it's not fun. And it's fun for the guys that are, highly recruited coming out of high school. It's fun for the guys who get drafted, but those kind of back-end guys with the camp invites, I mean, you go to a camp and then next, you know, that Monday comes, you you don't have a paycheck and, and you're sitting around looking. So um, I was fortunate enough to get my master's during this whole time and uh, kind of continually uh, work on becoming a better punter. And, and I think I did that, which ended up getting me the opportunity in the XFL. Is it more subjective for punters? Because like in, as a kicker, like, hey, if the guy's pretty good in college from over 50 yards, clearly this guy's an NFL shot. Is it harder to kind of weed, not weed out, but like differentiate yourself as a punter? Because there are a decent amount of dudes that can kick at 50 yards. I know there's nuances that I'll never understand about punting, but I'm just curious, is it harder to differentiate yourself from NFL with NFL scouts as a punter versus a kicker? I think so. I think with punter, it's like, you know, you're not just making the kick. You're, you know, yeah. you got hang time, you got distance, you got location. All those things are huge factors. Get off time, you know, how, how nice your hands are, you two-step, you three-step. There's tons of different things that you can put into it. And, and in kicking, there's similar things, but in the end, you just have to get points. And that's what you have to do. Uh, you can always be better. You can always put it on the half-yard line, you know, and punting or, or whatever. You can always kick off as a punter. Um, 
I think, um, you know, one thing that I learned a lot when I went to the Chiefs was, you know, they only keep one punter on the roster. I mean, we were told that the last day, you know, the snapper and the kicker that I was there with was like, hey, we got a great special teams crew and, you know, we're happy you came out and we're happy you're here and be ready because we'll call you if something happens to our guys. But, you know, we're not bringing anybody on for practice squad or anything. That to me was like, okay, you know, I, I don't hope anything bad happens to anyone, but I hope I get an opportunity somewhere. You know, so it's just one of those things in the position. You just don't have a lot of guys, you know, in in in, uh, you know, practice squad roles or anything. You just have to be kind of ready off the couch. Yeah, it's nuts because your job market is shrunk because, like you said, they're not keeping a practice squad kicker. They're not keeping a practice squad punter. I mean, you see stories all the time of a kicker gets hurt or something. And it's like, Oh, this guy was selling insurance last week. Now he's kicking for the Los Angeles and stuff like that. Was it hard not to get demoralized or did you understand, Hey, this is the game and this is how this works. Like I don't have a job right now, but I'm literally one hamstring away. Right. And I think that's just something you have to like realize. And that's like the persistence I've always had with myself is just like, when that time comes, you're going to be ready or you're not going to be ready. And, um, I've always I felt like been ready for opportunities that come. And, and that's just one thing that like if I get if I get a chance, I'm going to capitalize on that chance. And it was definitely there were times where, you know, you're working out for months and you're not getting a call for those months. That's like frustrating. That's like, hey, I should just go get a job. I should stop wasting this, you know, wasting my money on lessons and, and kicking stuff and go get a job and start your life. You know, go do the fun things your friends are doing out there, going on trips, doing these things like you can't do that because you're constant, you know, you could get a call tomorrow to go. So I think um, it's definitely a frustrating process, but like I said, getting an opportunity to go play again, like really, really opened my eyes to how much I love football and, you know, how grateful I am to, to continually play. Everything you just described, that was my next question. Did you have to weigh any of that with the XFL? It's kind of a startup league. There was the pre COVID version, you know, you had the XFL and the AAF and what was crazy was, I believe the AAF one where they had that crazy ass billionaire who like bought the a league and then just like stole the gambling technology. But like the XFL and the yeah. AAF was kind of working. And then this whole global pandemic thing kicked in and crushed it. But it was kind of working. Like I remember watching somebody mm -hmm. I was like, this is kind of cool. What was the process like you mentioned? Like, am I going to stick with this? Am I going to go get a real job? How much convincing did it take to get an, an XFL opportunity? or I say get the opportunity to take it versus like, I'm just going to go get a normal job. What was that like for you from a decision-making standpoint? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. My parents uh, were super, super nice and lenient and explaining to me, like finish out your master's and, and I finished my master's in December. And then they're like, all right, go get a job from there. Um, you know, you like encouraging me to go get a job from there pretty much saying, you know, give us, you know, give yourself that time to see if something happens. So there happened to be like an XFL showcase, I think in like November or October. And so I went to that and got some good feedback and I, I ended up not getting picked, not getting drafted. Um, so that January I was just training I was full out. I was interviewing for jobs. I was, I was meeting with people every week and, and I was, you know, full out trying to get a job and I was just still kicking on the back end just in case. And then it was, I think week two of the season, the Orlando punter got hurt and, um, I mean, I had, I think like my second round interview that Tuesday and I called and said, Hey, I just, you know, I just signed with the XFL. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just like, Hey, I mean, there was no, there was no way that I wasn't going to take that chance. I, I love, like I was watching the XFL. I was bumming, man. I was like, I want to be out there so bad. And right when I got that call, I was like, I'm there tomorrow. 
I'm signing tomorrow. I'm practicing tomorrow. You know, I was pumped. I was ready to go. As much as you are my favorite punter of all time, I did not know you did not start the season off on the Guardians roster. You get that call mm-hmm. week two and your life just shifts to like, okay, now I'm a punter. What's that like walking into a startup league in the middle of the year? I mean, clearly you've been in an NFL camp. It's not the NFL, but there's some interest there. There's a lot of good players there. And like you said, mm-hmm. when you finish up your master's program, it's not like some 35th round draft pick in the MLB draft where it's like, hey, what are you doing toying around in the minor leagues? Like what, what's going on? Right. You're still pretty damn close to getting a job in the big leagues because there's just not that many of them. What was that like walking mm-hmm. into that situation? Was it fun? Like what was what oh, was it was awesome. Like? It was awesome. We had a we had a really really fun team. Our our staff was great, uh, super welcoming. Terrell Buckley, who I worked with at Ole Miss, he was our defensive backs coach, was our head coach. And then walking immediately into the hotel when I got there was Lakia Henry, one of my you know closest yeah. friends on the Ole Miss team, and it was a linebacker there. So I was like, you know, Lakia really helped me meet the guys and kind of gel well with the guys. And um, like I said, I think it was I think my first practice was Wednesday, and I started Sunday and. Um, it's weird being on the sideline and like not knowing anybody's name. That was like, (laughs) you know, you're out there like I'm asking the kicker. I just met, you know, Tuesday. Hey, like, where's, you know, who's 30 who just scored for us. I don't even know this guy's name. I don't know where he's from or anything, but sticking. I think my, you know, my first game, I stuck a ball on like, I think I had a 56 yard punt that's like stuck on the seven. And then I was, I think that kind of, you know, guys around were like, all right, you know, shit, Matt can kick it. You know, he's going to help us. You know, let's mess with them a little bit. And then from then on, I mean, just really gel with that team. And uh, we didn't really have the season we wanted, uh, um, but we had uh, I think we had a lot of fun and a lot of guys got a lot of film. That's the whole I think the reason for this league is to get film and to try and get this film to the next level. Everybody's trying to go to the next level, you know, whether they say it or not. Everybody wants to go get that big paycheck. So I think just getting that film this year was super, you know, great. And just getting back traveling every weekend around the guys. I mean, just just too fun man it's too fun and that was when we discovered the second weapon that you have on you of many which being your arm and i felt personally robbed to not get to see this <laughs> on display at old miss take me through the process of like realizing hey i can throw you probably knew you could throw but that actually getting implemented into a professional football game plan what was that like I mean, my first meeting when I walked in, when the T-Buck introduced me to the team, he said, we're going to run fakes with Mac. It's already, I don't care which, you know, it doesn't matter. We got a guy that can throw it. And I was like, okay, because I threw to his DBs at Ole Miss. I would throw and, 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 you know, help out wherever I could. Because I just love throwing the ball, you know. It's just, you only get better by throwing. So, um, he just kind of implemented it right away. And each week we had a fake in. And then I think we were like one in seven at the time. And he was just like, I don't care if the look's there, if the look's not there, we're running it. Don't call it off. Screw it. <laughs> so we just got back there and ran it. And Katie Cannon made a hell of a catch for me, put it out there for him. And uh, I think he got tackled on the four. It was like 69 yards. And then the next one, the next game, we didn't have the look again. And I think somebody was trying to call it off. And we were on our, like, I think I was standing on my one-yard line. We were just like, screw it, man. Let's run it. And I mean, it's whatever. We're one and eight. <laughs> Might as well run it. And Do you have the autonomy eight. to call that, or is it coming from the sideline? <laughs> uh, T-Buck didn't really give me the heads up, like, hey, you can call it whenever you want. But he was like, if there's a DB that's creeping in, you know, a creeper, and we don't bring him in, just throw it. So there was kind of like an open, an open check, if possible. You know, if I saw the look and I could look at him and we had enough time, 
um, to check it out, but um, we never really got that look. Or I, we got it early on, but I think it was like my second start, so I wasn't throwing my second start. I was I was just ready to get that ball out. But it was probably one of the best moments of my entire career to see like Jordan Thomas run down and and score a long touchdown or Katie Cannon like that. That feeling with that ball in your hand, you're like, holy shit, I'm throwing. Like I'm yeah, I'm throwing it, man. <laughs> How hard is it not to lose your mind when something connects? Like that first one you threw for the 69-yarder where he gets lost on the four, you being like, I'm going to try to play this cool like I've done this before, or I'm just going bananas on the first person I see. Oh, man. I think I did like eight celebrations like (laughs) on my way to the sideline. Like I think I was icing the banes, like arrow tossing that. I was doing it all, you know. I mean, just it was a cool feeling. It's something that I've dreamed about for a long time and uh, just being able to like connect on a pass or – or, you know, connect on a fake because we never really – I think we ran one field goal fake at Ole Miss my whole time there. So, uh, to get, like, a fake like that and to be a part of it, um, I think it helped in my job security on getting re-signed. And, you know, I think all of it all of it kind of weighs in. How do you balance that? You're, you know, you're – I mean, you're a private school kid from Minnesota that threw a touchdown in a professional football game. You're going viral in Sports yeah. Center, But at the same time, I'd, like, I imagine part of you from, like, a future job standpoint is like, hey, what about those three punts I stuck inside the five-yard line? What was it like seeing you on Sports Center chucking the football but also being like, hey, I had a pretty good game kicking it with my foot too? Yeah, I think I had, like, two 60-yard punts in that first <laughs> half and nobody said a word about it. And I was like, all right, it's whatever, you know, it's fine. And then, uh, you know, I mean, any type, I think any type of publicity can be good, good publicity in, in how you see it. And uh, I think getting my name out there definitely helped. You got, got a little recognition from the, from the goat with McAfee and um, yeah, that was like amazing that. to see. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that fires me up. I mean, that's somebody like, like I said, you grow up as a kid, you want to be on sports center, you grow up and you do these fun things. So, you know, for me to experience that was so cool. And for my family to be there for it and watch it, like, I mean, shout out to my mom because my mom literally has spoken so many things in my life into existence. And the old Miss thing was one of them. And, and definitely that throw. She she said it every game. You're going to throw one. It's like, we don't even have a throw in, in the fake. You know, we don't even we're not even throw one. She always said it, though. You're going to throw it. So uh, to kind of let that happen towards the end of the season for my parents to be there for it was pretty special. And as we wrap up here, after this XFL season happens, you know, you get this opportunity that you didn't necessarily think was coming how has that changed what your future looks like? I imagine given the year you had, you probably have a little bit of increased interest because you mentioned though, kind of the whole point of those leagues is to let guys get film. You were doing second round job interviews before you signed with the Guardians. How is your future in terms of how you view it versus football or getting a desk job? Trust me, don't do that. I have one of those. But I'm just <laughs> saying, how has that changed in the last couple of months since this season? Yeah, I mean, it definitely sparked up a um... – a fire in me that, you know, going into that season, I didn't get that whole training camp. I didn't get that whole fall camp experience, get comfortable. I mean, I came in on like a Wednesday and, you know, two weeks in. So this year I, you know, I'm ready to, like I said, maximize my ability and come in the best punter because I want to be the best punter in the XFL next year. And I want to get that opportunity at the next level. And I, and I believe myself that I can, and I got a great support system around and definitely changing things up with my training and, and what I'm going to be doing and and moving forward. I mean, man, I'm getting old. I'm already 25. So I got to really jump on this now. And, and, um, and, uh, and I just think, I think, you know, keeping, it definitely has made football more fun for me again. And, um, and that's just something I enjoy. I mean, it really did not feel like a job this year. It just was like back to football when you were a kid. So uh, just super fortunate to be in the position that I am and and ready to really take advantage of this next year and and, and kill it. 
Are you, and if, if you're not allowed to talk about this, just give me the like gun to the head type thing. But like you mentioned, you're signed for next year. Are you allowed to explore NFL opportunities? What is that kind of like too? Because like the mm -hmm. fall season versus the spring season, what is your mindset there? Yeah, we, we all are in the NFL or the XFL. So it, it's part of our contract that we're able to, to slide back and forth if need be. And you can still stay under contract or, or something along those lines. Uh, I know it, it kind of, it, you're not allowed to go to the CFL or the USFL unless you get released from the XFL. Um, I really love the, the XFL. I think what, you know, the rock did and Danny Garcia did this year. Um, unbelievable bosses, unbelievable turnouts. And I think next year it's only going to be bigger and better. So, you know, it could be that potential, like, you know, that filler in and, and get some, you know, guys at the end of their years in the NFL to come down and play. I mean, it's fun. It's fun. It was, it was a fun, it was a fun football year and I really enjoyed watching the other games too. So I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm able to have a good season this next year, you know, I'll be ready this fall. If, if there's a call that's ready and you know, I'm ready right now, but it's just, uh, we'll just, uh, we'll just wait and, and hopefully something works out. And before I let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the Mac Brown Awesome Lemonade Stand. I did a story on it a few years ago. It had already grown into something, what I would call very large at that point. I know that's a tough one with the mantra I've given you. I'm not sure if I'm going to apologize for that because I just think it's an awesome visual. But you are Mac, bad boy Mac Brown, confirmed good guy. Kind of take me through what's kind of next for the Awesome Lemonade Stand. You're doing some incredible stuff there. Yeah, I think we definitely pivoted once I left Ole Miss. And with COVID, uh, we were looking to do some different fundraisers and, and kind of push away from the physical lemonade stand and, and try and get more of a social media presence and really push to raise more awareness than anything. Uh, I think that was kind of like our main focus. So uh, moving forward, I think we're, you know, we're in contact with ALS TDI this year to potentially work on um, another project. So there's kind of five or six different things that we're talking through and we're excited about the future. Hopefully uh, we can make one of these happen and, uh, you know, I know Eden Prairie, Minnesota, Minnesota is going to support and Oxford, Mississippi will do the same. So hopefully we can get, a, you know, kind of a, across the state's presence this year and, and, and make something great. You're doing some great things with that, and it's been very inspiring to follow. Last thing is your unofficial branding agent. You were 96 at Ole Miss with 69 taken. Can you take that in the XFL? I don't think I could take that in the XFL. I'm good with 19. I'll go with 19. Trust me. I love 19. He is Mac Brown, bad boy Mac Brown, confirmed great guy. I really appreciate the time, man. This has been awesome. Uh, I'm rooting for you going forward, and I can't wait to see where your career goes from here. I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, that'll do it for our show today. Really appreciate Mac Brown's time. That was a bucket list interview for your guy here. Um, so we'll be back at it later on in the week with Weldon, special soccer corner. And then I think I got another interview around the corner, but I uh, need to confirm that one. So we'll be back later on this week. Thanks for listening to this podcast as always, and we'll catch you later on in this week.